And good morning, everybody, and welcome to Talking Biz on New Radio Media. I'm Peter Perlman, along with Paul Benzman. Paul, Paul, there's nobody in Paul's seat. Well, Ethan Perlman, welcome to the uh, wonderful studio, and I guess you're my wonderful uh, backup guy today. Yes, I am. I'm, I'm looking. Paul's not there, and I got coffee, and boy, do I have coffee today. Matter of fact, you know, it's so funny. Last week, there was all this talk. No coffee in the building. No coffee. And I was a happy guy. I, I brought my own coffee. But I got to give a shout-out today to Rochelle Myers. You know, hold on, folks. I got to go do this. Rochelle brought me last night. She said, I listened to your show. And when you said, you know, somebody get you a cup of coffee or get you 50 cups of coffee, you'll take them out for coffee. So Rochelle gave me 50 cups of the Green Mountain Coffee Roasters Dark Magic Coffee. So think of me. And if you really feel sorry for me, bring me some more coffee. I love coffee. Well, I gotta, they want me to move this over. They all want to look at this. How beautiful. Okay, my coffee. I got to tell you, I got to have a cup of coffee. I tell you, Paul, Paul, this is for you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. My, my, my. I got to tell you, what a show today. We got a guest coming in today, um, and he's going to talk about something so unique. I bet most of the people in the studio, and I'm looking at a thing we call a battery here, have no idea when it came about, what it actually does, and why I want to bring it up today more than anything else. But our guest will be Bud Grell, and Bud, of course, is from High Efficiency Power Solutions out in beautiful uh, Whitmore Lake. Um, they do some very unique things to a battery that we never would have thought of. And the people they share it with and where they expand to, uh, all this we'll talk about a little later. But if Bud shows up a little early today, we're going to talk about something else Bud loves to do. And Bud is a backroom musician. He loves the guitar, and he'll share all kinds of wonderful stuff with us. But, you know, so much stuff is going on in Detroit. And uh, for you folks, um, i got to give you, like, this little weather forecast for tomorrow. Be prepared to lock it down. Take the little animals in the house. Watch out for the buckets outside. They're talking about a bomb of wind. That was the way the weather forecaster said it today. We're going to have, like, a bomb of wind. 50-mile-an-hour winds to 70-mile-an-hour winds. The west side of the state's going to get more than the, our side. So a little bit of moisture today, heavy winds tomorrow. And, um, you know, just uh, be prepared, folks. Get everything prepared. Get everything locked down. Make sure that in the event the power goes out, you know what to do. Get the generators running. That's what you got to do. Get the generators running. So, Ethan, how are you doing this morning? I am honestly tired. Tired. Can you believe this? He does a show during the week called um, Baseball Mainly. Yes, I do that with Jess Monticello and uh, Corey Stewart. Okay, and that tires you out for the whole week? Uh, no, it's Saturday <laughs> It's Saturday morning. I think we'd all much prefer to be sleeping in. Sleeping in? Wait a minute. You Wait a minute. You sleep all the time. I mean, I check this out all the time. And every time I, I check in, what are you doing? I'm tired. I'm sleeping. For, for the listeners, he doesn't just randomly, you know, come watch me sleep. He is my father. So oh. it's not like one of those creepy situations oh. where uh, a man just walks into your house and, you know, watches you sleep. Well, you know, folks, 
We at uh, New Radio Media have to do so many unique things to keep our family going, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, we're giving Paul a rest today. Paul kind of got run down this week a little bit, I think, with the uh, weather going up and down. And uh, we are so busy here at New Radio Media with so many new things happening, and I can't share them all with you right now. But um, he has been, like, just running from one end to the other. And at this point in time... The best thing in the world is, Paul, get some rest. You know, I know you. You'll sneak in here later today. You'll pick up something off your desk, and then everybody will say, was Paul just here? You know, it's just uh, kind of an amazing little thing. So while Paul's out and about, uh, we're going to change up a little bit here today. But one of the things I want to do is I want to take you around Detroit a little bit. I want to share with you some of the exciting things that are happening. First of all, how many of you know where Beacon Park is in Detroit? Anybody know where Beacon Park is? No, but I know where Detroit is. You know, well, that's good. You know, in the back behind me is Tony and Alana. They're back there, and Angel. And Angel will be coming in the studio shortly, and we're going to have a player change here that you'll see. But um, anybody have any idea where Beacon Park is? Nobody wants to answer me. You, you already said it's in Detroit. I know, but where in Detroit? That's the question. Uh, and Tony is asking, is it by the river? Well, you're getting close. Do you know where DTE is in Detroit? The big building. The big building by MGM. Anyway, on the back side of Beacon on the back side of DTE is Beacon Park. And DTE took it over uh, this past year, really made some great changes to it, and they've been doing a film festival down there. So, you know, a couple weeks ago we had the March of the Penguins. And coming up uh, today, as a matter of fact, there's gonna be two movies. They have a big tent up there, it's fully heated. And they're going to show Black Panther at 4 and Selma at 6.30. This is the February Flick Series, and it's presented by DTE Beacon. And um, go down there. It's free. Go and enjoy yourselves. I think you're going to find this is really a wonderful, wonderful time. Now, some people may say, though, it's a little bit too cold. So what should I prepare myself for on June 1st and 2nd in Detroit? Do you have any idea? Any idea? Oh, you're looking at my thing. Okay. <laughs> Once we hit May, you know, you get into the month of May, you get into a stride. And you know what that stride is? It's the art fairs and the craft shows. So Palmer Park is coming alive again. And they're going to have their Palmer Park Art Fair. And they're just kicking it off now. So, you know, it's been a, close, you know, a couple years back. Uh, they used to close it for 30 years. And um, now Palmer Park's Art Fair is set to start June 1st and 2nd. And um, I went down there um, a couple years back, and I took back down. They had a thing with pets, and they asked for pet food for dogs and cats. So uh, Carrie and I went down, and uh, we spent part of an afternoon delivering food uh, so that they could take it to the uh, animal shelter. And we took a carriage ride. And I got to tell you, it was great. And just seeing how busy they were and how people came down to support such a great program. Palmer Park, you know, wraps around. There's an 18-hole golf course there. There's the pond. There's great trails. Uh, and, and now to have the art fair back. And then when you're done with the art fair, going down Woodward Avenue right there with a great Italian restaurant, La Via Dolce, you've got so much that you can do. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. We're looking at, like, Ron Scarborough. Ron is a 73-year-old artist. And I tell you, 
working and living in Detroit and doing things, getting his drawings prepared for the show, there you're going to see things that you have not seen in such a long time. And Mark Loeb is the producer of High Integrity Shows. And um, this is something that's been painstaking for them to do. And the hours that they have dedicated to it is just great. You know, one of the things you're going to hear at uh, New Radio a lot more, especially on our show, Talking Biz, is we're going to talk about what's going on around the community, what kind of shows are happening, what's the best thing for you to do to get out every day, to take a look. You know, wander around the streets. See what's new and exciting out there. Don't hesitate to, uh, you know, put the toe in the water a little bit and go into new neighborhoods and really get excited about the things that are coming up. Right now, I don't think I'd want to put my toe in any water. Well, it's 28 um, well, degrees. Wait a minute. It's 28 degrees. It's, it's going up to like 38 today or 35. Why, I, why not? Well, I don't want, you know, the end result to be kind of like sticking your tongue on a flagpole. Well, no, wait a minute. I, I don't want to get were, frozen. Wait a minute. You were in Scouts. You were in Boy Scouts. Did you not go out in the winter and do activities? I went out in the winter. I did not dip my toe in that water, though. You know, there are a lot of people, um, and they just completed this. You know, they call this, you know, the great dive into the Detroit River. You know, and everybody does the winter splash and the, for charity and everything else. I just can't believe that you would not want to participate and get moist. <laughs> oh, got him. I, I, got him. I, I will be em. physically active and sweat. I will not jump into a lake when right, it's freezing temperatures. Okay, Mr. Boy Scout, here you go. You ready for this? Sure, what do you got? All right. Girls from Livingston County's first female Scouts BSA troop. You know, it was just recently announced that uh, the Boy Scouts of America, which you are a member of and an Eagle Scout, um, have opened their doors to girls coming into Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Now, we know from you being in venturing, yeah, venturing um, was a shared um, section of the scouting program with boys and girls. Is that correct? Well, venturing was is co-ed. Um, but it was strictly under the Boy Scout um, umbrella. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was. It's always been co-ed, as far as I know, for venturing. Um, and there was never really any issues, at least where I was a part of a crew. Um, and you know, I always kind of wondered, um, you know, if it ever, if Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts would ever, you know, become officially co-ed. Mm -hmm. Now it has, and uh, my only concern is. What happens to Girl Scouts? Will their numbers drop, um, or will they stay the same? Well, that's something that you know we're going to have to kind of watch and see. But you know, one of the things Boy Scouts, uh, Boy Scouts of America, as we know it, we grew up with it that way, uh, dropped the word boy from its name and renamed itself Scouts BSA on February first of this year. So the overall organization um, may be Boy Scouts of America. But at the same time, um, the everyday name now that we'll see will always be, um, shall we say, Scouts BSA. And, you know, it's interesting that the uh, young ladies are coming into scouting. And uh, when interviewed, uh, Hannah Winkoff, she said, you know, I saw what my brother was doing when he was going here and going there. And it was a lot of the same things that I could do, and I know I could do it, and I wanted to be part of it. And uh, the uh, troop senior leader here in uh, Livingston County, 
uh, Victoria Conquest, she's 17, um, and as an assistant patrol leader, um, she's excited about it for so many reasons, and the idea, too, that they can both all become Eagle Scouts. Now, you are an Eagle Scout, so yeah. that is a true challenge for somebody. Is that correct? I mean, there's a lot of things. You just don't join, and if you keep in long enough, you just become an Eagle. What do you have to do to become an Eagle Scout? Well, yeah, you have to advance um, through the ranks by, you know, completing tasks specific to that rank and earning merit badges uh, later on. Um, and then you have a final project, which has to better the community uh, or your community. You know, you're not going to be able to affect the whole world at once, but uh, make your uh, surrounding community a little bit better with whatever your project is. Um, does it say, though, you know, anywhere uh, eventually, will Boy Scouts be able to sell Girl Scout cookies? Well, here we go, folks. I knew this was coming. You know, everybody loves the Boy Scout popcorn. No, and, I always and, get asked if I was selling cookies well, back Well, I know. Then, you people, know? I, think, I don't know if people were teasing or not. They all love the Girl Scout cookies. So I'm going to go look for the cookies. I'm going to have a coffee. And you're listening to New Radio Media Talking Biz. The latest LiftMaster garage door openers and the toughest retractable screens on the market, all by the push of a button. Tarno Doors is celebrating its 50th year anniversary and is the recipient of the 2016 Subcontractor of the Year from the Home Builders Association. Tarno knows doors. Tarno knows doors. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. It's not science fiction, it's science fact. Tiny robots crawling through your body helping doctors to identify disease and perform operations. The tools are known as snake bots and they carry tiny cameras, scissors, and forceps. For now, these snake bots have to be controlled by humans and they remain attached to tethers. But we're not far from the day when the machines will cut the tether for good and be allowed to roam your body on their own in damaged organs. Now already the tethered snake bots have proven extremely useful and they make it possible to conduct previously invasive surgery in ways that were never thought possible just a few years ago. So imagine, for example, a heart bypass operation that does not require a major incision in your chest and the opening up of your ribcage. Now these things are being made possible today and will in the not too distant future become the rule rather than the exception when it comes to major surgeries. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. And we are back here at New Radio Media Talking Biz. You know, it's time for coffee, and I sent uh, Ethan down to go get a cup of coffee for our wonderful dear friend here, Bud Grell, who just came in from the beautiful Brighton, Livingston County area. We were just talking about Livingston County. Good morning. Good morning. So how was your drive-in on a beautiful sunny day? Uneventful. Well, that's the best thing of all, you know, because tomorrow out in your neighborhood, they're going to have 50-mile-an-hour winds. 
That's what I'm hearing. So I want to make sure that everything is tied down. You know, the dog is tied down. <laughs> All the outside buckets are tied down. We got coffee for you. This is what we do here. Thank oh, you, oh, look sir. at this. Is that cute? He brings you little cups. Uh, no stirs because he doesn't drink coffee. So, <laughs> you know, I got to remind everybody. Rochelle Myers was listening to the show last week, and Paul and I were going on this tangent about I love to drink coffee. Love coffee. Love coffee. So in the meantime, one of our listeners got me 50 cups, these little Kura cups. See, like here, hold on, have a little box. See, she brought me these. So she says, you got to have coffee. She says, I don't want you to have a, you know, a power failure here. So this is like the best thing in the world. Do I infer from that that you don't normally have coffee for your guests? Oh, no, we have coffee. They hide it. <laughs> they hide it from me. So this is like a game show here. Like, where's Waldo? Where's the coffee? So, you know, this is great. So, you know, in the second hour, we're going to spend some time talking about what you really do for a living. Sure. We're going to get into that. But, you know, it's great to have you in the studio. You wanted to see what we do here. And, you're, you know, you're like a, an all-around, you know, handyman. So we understand that, you know, you like the music business mm -hmm. and a little guitar playing. A little. And you like to repair mixing boards. Is that true? It is. I mean, uh, you know, there's no better way to get value for your dollar than to be able to repair it. So you go out, you repair this nice 32-channel mixing board. Is that right? It is. And then you believe that the best solution is to go to one of those big online companies to buy a beautiful cover for this thing. Is that right? <laughs> is that right? Go buy a cover for Peter, the, I'm impressed. I, I mean, this. let's go buy a cover <laughs> for this. I just fixed this beautiful 32-channel. Boy, what a great piece. You know, I'm going to show my buddies how good I am. So I'm going to, I'm going to type in Amazon. A-M-A. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to order me one of those covers. True. And then, hi, I'm Amazon Delivery, mm -hmm. and here's your nine-channel cover board. <laughs> Nine-channel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. See? I got to understand the story. Oh. Yes, yes, yes. So tell me, um, Mr. Repairman, <laughs> um, you went to Amazon, mm -hmm. you order a you order a 32-channel cover, and you get a nine. I do. So the real reality is, is it cracked up to be what it's meant to be, these big online pieces. I mean, come on. Uh, to be honest with you, the, I this want is the dirt the, on. I want the, the dirt. the first time I've had to return something. Really? It is. And the return process was painless, right? Mm. Um, you get a hold of the supplier and the supplier sends you all the details to send it back and you do so. Well, you know, I got to tell you, I'm not an online guy. <laughs> I uh, I know that. I, are you an online guy? <laughs> you know, you know you, I am. Yeah. Are you an online guy? Yes, he nods, yes, I, I love when they yes, nod their head in radio. You know when you guys. <laughs> I, I always love see, this. See, I don't. I, I don't understand this about you because you're so what? busy. You're tied into so many things, and to have what you purchase show up at your front door. What do you mean? They. they it's up. just a time efficiency. No, no dream. I mean, no, no. I like to still when I travel. I want to walk into different places. I want to go in and see what they've got. Mm -hmm. I want to try it on if it's shoes or a clothing or a suit. I want to go through the hardware store. I want to see what they got. Oh, nobody got time for that. Oh, you got to no, make time. Nobody got time. You for got that. to make time. <laughs> oh, got to guess what? My coffee lady just checked in. 
She says, good morning to the Perlman men from Farmington Hills. So Rochelle says, okay, Rochelle, I'm drinking the coffee for you, my dear. Thank you again for those 50 cups. We will have coffee together. You know, it's so wonderful. So, you know, a lot of things go on in Detroit. Now, you grew up where? I grew up in Dearborn. Dearborn area. Okay, so give everybody the location rough. You know, the, the big streets. They don't want to know the little streets. So Ford Road and Schaefer. Ford Road and Schaefer, okay. And then Michigan and Greenfield. All right. So, you know, you did all that, and you used to go downtown, right? Did you go downtown? A lot. Well, you were going downtown when Cobo Hall was first coming into life? Oh, boy. Mm. Uh, I don't know about first coming in, but, uh, yeah, back in the 60s. So what do you think that uh, Cobo Hall is doing today? Do you think this is going to be good for the neighbor? Do you know what they're doing? I do not. You don't? Mm. This is the problem of living in Livingston County. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I'm a Howell boy now. Yeah, I know, but it, they're going to help you here. They're going to move the microphone a little bit. Look at this. Is this beautiful? Look at the talent that we have in here. Hook me up, Ethan. There you go. Cobo Hall is thinking of changing their name. To? Chemical Bank. Really? For $1.5 million a year for 22 years. Uh, so that, you know, that, that would be one big bank, you know. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, much, how much money are they going to store there? Well, you know, there's a lot of reasons Cobo Hall's doing this. And, and I think that's the bigger issue. And I don't think people really realize what's going on down there. But, you know, new name for Cobo. Um, it started like you know in Cleveland. They renamed their uh, civic center down there for five hundred thousand. And here we're talking about you know getting the one point you know uh, money talks. One, one, one point five for twenty two years. Now the bigger issue is Chemical Bank made a big announcement two weeks ago mm. that they were going to merge with TCF out of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So it could be the TCF Center. They're playing with that. And if it doesn't go exactly right, Gary Togo and that group may make it just call it Chemical Bank Center. So, and they're building down the street from there. And real Detroiters forever will call it. Well, that's the question. Cobo Hall. Well, it's like going to Pine Knob. <laughs> exactly. You know, exactly. You know, the case. DTE and go to Pine Knob. But <laughs> the idea that one of the unique things, though, and the governor is excited about it, Mike Duggan, the mayor is excited, is that a local person, Gary Torgo and that group, that now has Chemical Bank, and it, you know they merge banks together, are also building a tall 22-story building, uh, if I'm correct, at Elizabeth and Woodward for the new headquarters of Chemical Bank. Mm -hmm. So you'll have that downtown. Then on top of that, All good you, you rebrand uh, the next one, which is going to then be, of course, uh, Cobo Hall becoming either TCF Center or Chemical, Chemical Bank Center. Now, Ethan and I were down at the basketball game a week ago, last Friday. Uh, Odo over a week ago. Last Friday, a week ago Friday. And I did not park in a garage. I did not park in an open lot and pay $40. Mm -hmm. I parked on the street for free. Well, you right, found a spot. Right by the Masonic Temple. Mm -hmm. And I walked my two blocks, and it was marvelous. Mm -hmm. And it was just great. Other than, you know, you walk into these places, and, I mean, they're all nice on the main areas, all the food courts and this and that. And uh, Ethan actually had Eaton Academy uh, kids there from, what, 1 to 3 o'clock for a program? Yeah, we uh, we were invited, or we did a program there uh, from 1 to 3, and then uh, by by participating in that, you had to buy a ticket to the game. So a lot of the uh, students came back for the game that night. 
So, I mean, it was a family night, and uh, the atmosphere downtown was great and everything. So, you know, Cobalt Hall, this is, this is going to be different. When I first went to Cobalt Hall, the Pistons were playing down there mm-hmm. in, in the round, if we all remember, before they put the other part of Cobalt Hall even Absolutely. up. So, Bob Lanier days. That's right. Yeah. And you paid 50 cents or a buck to sit way up high. And mm-hmm. we would take the Hamilton bus downtown from Seven Mile Road. The gold seats, if I recall. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we would go, and then as the game starts, you just kept walking down and walking down and walking down. And before you know it, because nobody ever came, we were almost on the floor for 50 cents. And then mm-hmm. we took the bus home. I mm-hmm. mean, it was great. You know, so you were growing up in Dearborn. Where was the hot spot in Dearborn when you were growing up? Oh, hot spot. Hot spot. Uh, you know, I guess uh, being an east sider, right, uh, the hot spots were really in Detroit. So you like you didn't go when you were growing up. Did you ever go like to the hideouts, you know, for music, or did you go? Oh, okay, so you're talking about a little bit older. Now. A little older. I'll make you yeah, a little older. Yeah, yeah. I want to. I want to make sure you got wheels under you. Yeah, there were. Well, if I had <laughs> wheels under me, um, it was all about music. And um, so, so, where did you go for music? There was a place on Greenfield called Sully's, mm-hmm. and Sully's um, was you know a hole in the wall. It's uh, for Dearbornites. It's formerly the Gem Bar, and uh, again. Taking that analogy to Cobo Hall, it will always be the gem bar to um, those of us that know it as such. Um, but uh, they had an ownership at the time, uh, rebranded at Sully's, and had just uh, world-class blues players from Chicago and uh, down in Mississippi and so forth that were there all the time. Uh, you know, I saw Leon Russell, or I was leaning on the piano. I should have brought you my time. photo of Leon Russell. You should have. I have a great photo <laughs> Of Leon Russell playing at Cobo Hall. Mm. Um, this is when I used to be in the days with A&M Records mm-hmm. and uh, Arista and a bunch of the others. And uh, some, I got wild stuff. I think I even showed Ethan once my picture with Peter Frampton and I when my hair was like. <laughs> <laughs> we did this at Harmony House, no less. <laughs> you know, at uh, I, I Nine Mile and John. Like oh, <laughs> let me tell you. And uh, we had another group called Kayak at that time. Um, at the same time, Al Stewart came out with his record, Year of the Cat. Sure. And uh, so I had an inflatable kayak given to me. Well, Al Stewart is the absolute antithesis of this type of music. Oh, yes. Yeah, that was uh, predominant at Sully's. But uh, at the same time... Uh, well, you had Leo Kotke, yeah. 12-string guitar, yeah, Capitol Records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I can do this show. No, Leo Leo is a, is a hero of mine. So, And a lot of guitar players, anybody that um, studies any thumb style. Well, you know, this is uh, great. So, you know, this this is some good stuff. So, mm-hmm. besides seeing all that, mm-hmm. um, what was your favorite place to go get a burger? Oh, boy. Um, you know, a lot of people say Miller's. Okay. And uh, I did like Miller's a lot. But, um, again, uh, my favorite places were down in Detroit at the Little Braze and, and places ah, like the that. Little Carter's and, uh, okay. you know, those places yeah. where... Um, you knew who was cooking your burger, and they were cooking it right in front of you. Definitely and did. And they could cook it exactly and the, onions, the way you right, wanted. Grill the onions mm-hmm. right there in front of you and drop it on there and, and have a great time with it. So, you know, this is great stuff. So if you've joined us over here at New Radio Media Talking Biz, Bud Grill's in. You know, we're talking music a little bit. We're talking about the city of Detroit, some of the different things that go on. Um, what was your favorite movie theater? Well, in the neighborhood I grew up in, there was the Carmen Theater. Which Carmen. was on uh, Schaefer. Schaefer, no longer exists. Nope. 
Now, did you ever go to the Ford Drive in Wyoming? I did, multiple oh, times. Right? Mm. Yeah, man, mm. we can't talk about a lot of that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me what movies were played. Oh, I see. So, I see. And how many people were in the trunk so they could get in for free? <laughs> well, you know, this is this is all great stuff when we talk about the city and everything that goes on Ford in around. Wyoming, still there. I know it is, you know. So, um, they're telling me that I have music playing, so I'm going to get you some coffee. I'm getting coffee. The boys here uh, are in the studio. They're looking at each other telling me, hang it up, come back, and we'll see you shortly. Teenagers depend on popular medications such as Accutane or Roaccutane to control their embarrassing skin blemishes. But researchers from Tel Aviv University say those pills can also lead to eye infections such as pink eye or styes. See, the problem appears to be linked to the drug's tendency to dry the skin, the lips, and the eyes. Your tears only lubricate the surface of the eye, but they also wash away bacteria and viruses. Fortunately, there is a simple solution to this problem, though. And all it takes to minimize your risk is to use artificial tears or eye drops to keep your eyes lubricated while using Accutane or Roaccutane. Both are readily available over the counter at any pharmacy. So if you have any problems with eye infections and you're using either of these acne drugs, then you should also talk it over with your doctor. Now it's also important to avoid rubbing your eyes when they feel dry. Instead, that should be your signal to grab your eye drops and re-moisturize your eyes. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream what you want to live. And we're back here at New Radio Media Talking Biz with uh, Bud Grell in the studios with Ethan. And, uh, you know, we're having a great time this uh, first hour and kind of talking about growing up in Detroit a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. Before you even were able to join us, we talked about uh, girls coming into uh, Boy Scouts under the new brand banner. And, you know, in your area out there, Brighton Howell, that's one of the first uh, scout troops that joined. So we were excited to see that. And... Um, so that's a good piece. Now, I want to talk a little bit about, the, you know, you grew up in Detroit. You watched a lot of things. You were also in the era where the shopping malls were being built. Yes. All right. So Fairlane down in Dearborn, mm. Northland to the north, Eastland to the east. I gave that away. <laughs> um, and then, you know, later on, we have outlet malls that pop up and all these things. But you know what happens now? It's like a cycle. Now, the big shopping centers like 12 Oaks, Fairlane, are becoming see-throughs. The big department stores are fading a little bit, and a lot of space is becoming open. So an interesting thing started in New York, and what they've done is they've taken a huge department store in a center and converted it into open offices, put a Whole Foods in, which I found very, very interesting there. Then on top of that, they put a cheesecake factory which brings tons of people, and Ethan's favorite store, Dick's Sporting Goods. Mm. So, you know, 
repurposing properties, what have you seen in the—I mean, you go back and forth to Dearborn periodically. What have you seen from the area you grew up with, you know, when you were down there? How has it changed? Oh, boy. Now, if it hasn't, be honest. No, no, it's changed quite a bit. And um, uh, one of my good friends is um, chief of staff to the mayor, so I stay oh. pretty tight with what's going on. Also have Maybe a, I should have uh, had the mayor in here, and <laughs> you should have stayed home. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're nursing a little bit of a code. I, I am. So I should am. we all talk? I got a code. We all got to talk the same way today. We have a code in the office. Mm. Oh, my sinuses are so bad. <laughs> uh, you don't sound like you have a cold. You sound like you're a five-year-old. Well, I need my mommy to take care of me, Ethan. And I don't have my mom anymore. I know you don't. So watch out! I'll bring out my dad voice here. <laughs> you got to understand. Bud is the father of not a newborn anymore. The baby's growing. How old is He's the baby? Two and a half. Two and a half. Right, right. Now don't forget, I still have his furniture available uh, from the bedroom before I move. I, I think I'll take you up on that someday, Peter. Would, well, uh, I sure hope you take me up before <laughs> I move. <laughs> well, with, with, with how slowly everything is progressing, you know, it could be another year. To no, two it won't be another year. The drywall years. boys are done. Uh, the painters are coming. I'll believe it when I see uh, it. I love it. This has been a story with us, Bud and I, yeah. you know, every time we're together out there. So, but anyway, so growing up. So, grew up in Dearborn, and you asked about changes there. Right. Um, so, ethnic changes for sure, right? Okay. And, um, you know, there are various uh, opinions, I guess, uh, on that. But my personal opinion is I, I love to see it. I love to see the um, investment in the community. Um, what happened, I think, in Dearborn, and I hate to speak for the city, but what happened in my particular instance is, you know, you you want to try to acquire uh, something other than maybe what your parents had, uh, which was a, a perfectly fine home and a, and a great neighborhood and lots of great friends and so forth. But uh, in your mind, you're thinking, uh, boy, if I could only have some more space, uh, if I could only... Uh, 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 branch out a little bit, and so that moves you out into areas where there is more property. So, did you grow up in like a ranch, a bungalow, or a two-story? It was a well, two different homes. Our, our first home looked a little bit like a castle. It had a five-sided uh, uh, turret. That was my bedroom in the. God, upstairs. I feel like I'm going off a military street right yeah, there. No, down no, there. no, you remember the old. Oh, homes, I right? sure do. But, uh, this um, is quite something. Yeah, so uh, a beautiful home. Uh, we loved it. When they widened Ford Road, they uh, took that parcel of land. So um, the home actually still exists, but they moved it down a few blocks. And in the meantime, I think my dad um, just said uh, didn't want to have to deal with all that. So we um, he bought a home in the Michigan Greenfield area. And uh, that was a bungalow home and uh, moved us, um, you know, was it was great for me. I mean, I was 13 at the time, and you think uh, this is the worst thing ever, but it moved me into an area where um, my dearest friends are, are still um, rooted, if not all over the country right now. But, um, uh, you know, it, I think uh, Dearborn... Uh, was on a decline because of a lot of people were moving out of it. And as you just pointed out with the malls, things that were once new were no longer new. So it takes either investment or um, 
another shot of adrenaline economically to have that um, not be the case. At any rate, um, uh, you know, new ethnicity moved in and uh, put a lot of money into the city, and I, um, I love seeing it. Now, do you go back, do you ever go back to your old neighborhood? Mm -hmm. I know, like, when I go back into Detroit, when I started going back in Detroit, now we left um, because my mother could not walk stairs. She had a severe injury 10 years earlier, and going up and down the stairs, the doctor finally said, you can't do steps. So it was get in the car, and she, my dad wasn't going to look for a house. Mm -hmm. So my mother drove everywhere and found a ranch, and I was on almost an acre, and then they started to expand it from there. But she needed to have no basement. That was the rule because she had a. In Detroit, we actually had a store in our basement. I think my, it's my, unusual not to have a basement in Detroit. Right? Well, you know, everybody had a basement, right. and so that meant stairs down. And we lived in a colonial, so that meant going up, and with laundry room in the basement and everything else. So she found a ranch, laundry room, everything one floor, and uh, they expanded it a little bit. But uh, it was a change because. Growing up in the city, the best thing was we could walk where we lived on Hartwell back in Detroit by Schaefer. I know, you know, well. You know well. Our home was on Calhoun. Okay. So we would walk down the Seven Mile Road. So even on a snowstorm, we would get out the sled, and my mother would give us a list. We'd go down to the supermarket, which was House of Foods at the time, go shopping, go to New York Bagel, get the bagels, go to the bakery shop, which was Star Bakery, take the sled right down the middle of the street because there were no cars that could make down through the snow, and all the way back to the house. Is New York Bagel still there? Still there. Well, yeah. they're they're like at Orchard Lake. Well, they're on the corner yeah. from our office at Orchard Lake and uh, Maple. We right, have one right, there. Right. Big, uh, they have a big distrib distribution center in Ferndale. Um, Used to be lines. Oh, there still the is. Trust yeah. me. Uh -huh. And the best when we were growing up, my brother and I, uh, my brother Owen, we had a New York Times bagel route. So what we did is after we did our Detroit news route, we delivered to the suburbs. We picked up orders on Saturday night, bagels and smoked fish and lox and cream cheese. And on Sunday morning, first thing we got like 50 New York Times. So I would drive the station wagon. He'd sit in the back inserting the papers. Mm -hmm. And then we would go home delivery to the people in the suburbs their orders and pick up our envelopes with the money. And we became entrepreneurs. <laughs> so that's what we did. And it, it was great, you know. So we. What uh, did this service cost me, I asked. Well, you know, we, we kind of charged you. We knew what the bagel cost was uh -huh. and everything. We added a couple bucks, like three, four bucks, you know. And there were tips included. You know, they, everybody gave us a tip. And it would be on your front porch, or they'd have the garage open. We'd put it in there on the pad inside the garage by the back door. Right. So, yeah, so we did this. And we also owned a valet parking service in Detroit at the time with the temple and a coat room operation. Oh, yeah, we were busy guys. I guess you were. So, you know, Detroit and opportunities back then are so different today. Mm. You know, you go to the suburbs, no sidewalks in a lot of places. Everything is transportation. Now, Angel, you, you live in Pontiac. Right. So you watch Pontiac make tremendous changes. Right. Going down, going down, now slowly peaking back up. Right. We got rid of the Silverdome, major piece. What area of Pontiac do you reside in, general area? Um, off of Baldwin Street. Okay, so off of Baldwin Street, going towards Great Lakes, or am I going the other way? The opposite way. The opposite Going way. towards downtown. Downtown, okay. So in that area, and that area is already a 100-year-old neighborhood. I mean, that's a good established neighborhood. 
How much change have you seen in the last three or four years um, to that neighborhood? Has it been positive? Is it, um, I've is it seen negative? No change whatsoever. No change. No. What needs to be changed in that area? First, um, if you could, if you if you could have your wish list, and I'm the and I'm the governor from the state of imagination, so I'll let you imagine these things. <laughs> what would you that's like? That's your new to, title for me. I, I'll forever call you that. No, I have a guy that's like way off the chart that I gave that title to a long time ago. So we'll make you the president. <laughs> <laughs> well, for one, I think the housing needs to be changed. Like a lot of work around the neighborhood needs to be done. Um, the housing is very bad there. A lot of the houses are falling apart. Um, the neighborhood just needs to be cleaned up, period. A lot of abandoned houses or whatnot that needs to be taken care of. So do I have to get you back to city council? Yeah, I told to, you. I think that's the best bet. I'll clean up the city. <laughs> I told you that before. I think I need you to get proactive down at the city hall. Let's start go, the campaign. Get Let's the campaign it. going. You got to go down there and you got to share with them. Look, here are photographs of my area. What's wrong with this picture? And before you know it, I think you may find a cadre of volunteers coming when the spring comes for spring cleanup. If nothing else, they start picking up all the litter. They start to get some of the yards cleaned up a little bit. The vacant homes, that's where the city's got to get involved, like in Detroit. Do we take them down? Do we sell them for a price that says, let's rehabilitate them? You know, I give it to you for 100 bucks, but you got to rehabilitate it. So that I understand, and uh, very, very important. Now, Ethan, you know, you're, you're 22 years old. You've been around a little bit. I mean, you've lived in Bowling Green. You've seen a different kind of a neighborhood there. It's a college community, but it's also a city. And then, of course, you've been in West Bloomfield here uh, at the opposite, at the far end of the township. Mm -hmm. And then you come back on this side of the township, so you look at it from a different perspective. What do you see is the major piece that you'd like to see changed? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, more out by us, I, I mean where we where we reside it would be nice to have a uh a more of a downtownish feel which i know you are keep saying that that's what they're trying to do on martin park where they're trying to make this little area um but honestly i i don't see it coming so, so you don't see a lifestyle open market uh, cityscape downtown, walk around I, the street. I, the think of it this way: if you had Levi Commons, like you have in Perrysburg, Ohio, mm -hmm. and that's what Martin Park Place, Martin Place is going to look like. Okay. Yeah, I, I understand what is, they're trying to make it look like. Um, I just think it's the wrong spot. Okay. I don't think it would be. I don't think it will succeed heavily with where they're trying to locate it. Oh, interesting. Walmart's over there. You've got roadbed. You got senior housing. You got residential. All these things for people to walk to a general community spot, for entertainment, for food, um, a few little odds and ends, specialty stores. Okay, that's very interesting. So, you know, we're gonna we're gonna play with the subject a little bit. This is kind of a fun little subject to watch how we reinvigorated neighborhoods. But I'm getting reinvigorated enough to get a cup of coffee at New Radio Media Talking Biz. And I'm David. Join us for fun and adventure on our new show, Podquesters, where we fight through imaginary battles 
and pray to the dice gods for good rolls. Yes, it's an epic sweeping adventure. We try to fulfill our destinies without driving the Dungeon Master crazy. I thought that was the point. Anyways, check us out here on NewRadioMedia.com, Fridays, Podquesters. See you there. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says there was a substantial drop in diabetes deaths in the decade leading up to 2006, especially for deaths resulting from heart disease or stroke that's attributed to diabetes. American adults with diabetes are still more likely to die younger than those who do not have the condition, but the gap is getting smaller. The findings come after researchers looked at data from 1997 to 2004, covering nearly a quarter of a million adults. The mortality rate may be falling for some very simple but sound reasons. People with diabetes were found to be less likely to smoke and more likely to be physically active than they were in the past. And there also have been some improvements in controlling blood pressure and cholesterol levels. But sadly, the news is not all good though. As the CDC also says that the prevalence of diabetes is likely to rise in the future largely due to poor lifestyle choices and obesity. With another Prescription for Your Health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. And blast off back to New Radio Media's Talking Biz, you know. Love Gink Tayman here, you know. These these young people are, like, everywhere. They're just floating everywhere. And, uh, you know, Comic-Con. And we saw there Ian Benzman, our president, uh, doing an interview there. You know, Ian loves wearing that little hat of his. You know, what are you, a beanie. Is that a beanie? Anybody want? Is that a beanie? Yeah, yeah, I love when again. I love when they nod their heads. You're like bobbleheads. You know, this is like. Uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. I hate yeah. to sound Canadian, but it's a toque. It's a toque. Oh, <laughs> a toque. And now scoring with his toque, number twenty-two, Yvonne Gatrudri. So Ethan, I know you've been missing this all morning long. And now, ladies and gentlemen, at New Radio Media's Talking Biz, Ethan Perlman's going to present. This date in history. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations, Ethan. Yes, yeah, spit it out. We want to hear it. I know you've been wanting to put this off because I wasn't going to let you look at what happened in this day in history because you always like to quiz everybody. Well, I'm, I'm chairman of the board. Well, Wait a minute. Well, I am chairman of the board. Well, now you're a contestant. Whoa. Well, Bud Grell's going to join us, you know. Uh, we're going to have everybody join us, you know. Come on now. Okay, so in uh, 1861. Uh, 1861, we had the Civil War going, you this, know. This president-elect left his home and avoided an assassination attempt en route. Was that Johnson? Was that Johnson? No, it was not Johnson. Well, Lincoln Lincoln got elected, so, you know. It was Abraham Lincoln. Well, yeah. Okay. He was president-elect oh, at the president time. Oh, president-elect. Oh, we got to listen to the whole on a, on a route to Baltimore, oh. there was news of a attempt on his life, and they rerouted him straight to Washington, D.C. 
So, what route did they take? Yeah, doesn't tell me what, uh, what, free, what freeway they took, you know. Okay, so now now we jump ahead to 1940. 1940, now 1940, you know, prior to World War II, defined by the president of the United States at that time, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Germany had already gone into Poland. You know, that's very, mm. that's very impressive, but that's not the question. Oh. I uh, feel like Karnak the Magnificent. Give me the answer, and I'll give you the question. Well, no, because if I... No. What? <laughs> so, folks... I'll take stuff I know for 200 please. That's right. You know, thank you, Alex. <laughs> folk singer Woody Guthrie... Oh, Woody Guthrie. I represented Woody Guthrie. ...writes one of his best-known songs in 1940... Oh, City of New Orleans? No, wait a minute. This land is your this land. This land is your land. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That is correct. All right. Okay. That'll be a cup of coffee from the back room. <laughs> yes. Courtesy of Rochelle Myers. Thank you, Rochelle. We, uh, now we jump ahead to 1945. Okay. The war is um, ending. This image is very, very highly uh, recognized. Oh, wait a minute. Life Magazine, The Kiss, downtown on Broadway. No. Wait a minute. What are you talking no. about? The sailor kisses the nurse. The it, sailor passes away. Can, can I give you more details? Peter, this please? is a, this is details. Game where you're supposed to listen to the yeah, question. Yeah, I, I mean, then answer it. Not answer it before this, you. Do oh. it. If you were on any game show, the security guard would be dragging you off the set right now. <laughs> no, no, no. Steve Harvey would have loved me. No, in jeopardy, no. you're Steve, Steve, Steve no, Harvey. 10, Steve, wait a minute. Right Steve Harvey would have gone. <laughs> I Did you listen to this question? I think Did Steve you listen Har to their answer? Steve Harvey would probably just have left the show <laughs> by Peter, now. Peter, um, you missed Abraham Lincoln during the Civil War, okay? Yeah. yeah ooh. Okay, so um, <laughs> this image comes from the Battle of Iwo Jima. Oh, the mm. five Marines holding up the flag, yes. one being a Native American. Tony Curtis in the movie, actually. My father was actually at Evo. Wow. And uh, according to this, uh, on this state in history piece that I did find, um, yes. the first flag was hung up, or was hoisted Posted. up at the uh, slopes of uh, the Mount Suribachi. Mm -hmm. And then the image that is more widely known in the video that is more widely known was actually the second posting. posting. Correct. So I want to go to Bud for one second here. Your dad was on Iwo Jima? Yeah. Or in, or in the Pacific at that time? After after the major battle, mm -hmm. but uh, there nonetheless. And What was your dad assigned to? Was he Navy, Marine? He was Navy. Okay. Navy, yeah. So um, went through the South Pacific. And uh, the thing about World War II vets is trying to pull any um, information out of them is very difficult, at least in my family. It is. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit. Um, stay with me on that subject. I know you have a couple more pieces, and I then do. I'm going to come back to that because Ethan's going to share with something what you just said with his, about his grandfather. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the last on this day in history, before we actually get to birthdays, birthdays. Um, mm -hmm. this movie was shown uh, uncut on network television in 1997, and it was one of Steven Spielberg's Oscar-winning film. E.T. No. Oscar. Oh, wait, wait. Ninety-seven. Ninety-seven. Saving Private Ryan. No. No. Ninety-seven. Um, that wouldn't be American Graffiti, because that was. Um, I'll give you one more hint. Uh, Ninety-seven. Sixty-five million people tuned in to watch all or part of it, and the basis of this movie is on a man who saved a lot of lives during Schindler's World War List. II. Yeah. Schindler's List. 
Yeah. Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler. And what was unique about this movie? Uh, any idea? I'm the one asking the question. Wait a minute. No, wait, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Answers. You brought it up. What was unique about this movie to the end? To me, what stuck out was the one coloration of the red coat. The whole movie was black and white. Mm -hmm. Except and for that. Till the end of the movie, when they're in Jerusalem going to the cemetery. Mm -hmm. Up until that point, everything. No, no, the little girl in the red coat. Yep. Yeah. And the other little piece to this movie, who was the violinist that played throughout the whole movie? It's Ike Perlman. Our relative. I rest my case. Yes. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I have a little bit of a funny story about Schindler's List. And, and Schindler's List, uh, you can't find any humor in the movie. But um, the situation was this. We're trying to watch Schindler's List. And uh, at the time, I was in a band where we're cutting an album. And one of the guitar players was downstairs, and he was trying to um, hone in a part. So he played it over and over and over while we're watching Schindler's List. So it will, the part he was playing will forever be known as Schindler's Lick. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was uh, music by John Williams, uh, just for those of you that would like that little tidbit, by I, the way. I think everything uh, Spielberg did was scored by Williams. Williams, right? yep. yeah. Okay. Next piece. And uh, now we're on to birthdays. Happy um, birthday, everybody. Well, that concludes our program. Thanks, Ethan. No. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, people who have birthdays today, uh, first up is Peter Fonda. Ah, Henry's uh, son. American actor who was in Ghost Rider, Wild Hogs, and Yuli's Gold. Great, great. But his father, Henry. <laughs> okay, next up, uh, Josh Gad. Uh who what, who is a American actor and a voice actor known for stuff like Frozen? He was Olaf. Olaf. Um, Olaf. Yeah, I know. Olaf. I know you've never seen Frozen, so. <laughs> 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 but you have seen this movie, A Dog's Purpose. Oh, great, great! And oh. uh, another movie he has been in is The Wedding Ringer. You have not no, seen I'm that. Not. That is a Kevin a Hart. That purpose. is a Kevin Hart movie. Wait, I know yeah, you've well, not Kevin seen Hart, that. Crazy Kevin Hart. You know, he blew it up for the Olymp uh, for the Oscars, which we'll talk about later too. Okay, and uh, to finish up with celebrity birthdays, okay. Emily Blunt, mm -hmm. a uh, English actress who has been in movies such as A Quiet Place, just recently Mary Poppins Returns, okay, and uh, Into the Woods, and then we have a. Uh, friend of ours who Jason has a Rosen. birthday today. Happy yep. birthday, Jason. And if you got a birthday today, you know, I'll tell you what, you can text us at 248-909-4197. Hit the text. I want to see it. You can text me. I'll read it. I'm not ashamed. I'll read it. What? Did I do that wrong? Did I do no, that wrong? I'm just kind of confused why you're looking at me like that. Well, I just kind of wondered that. I thought maybe I gave the wrong number out. I don't no, know. You gave the right number All right. Out. So we'll see if anybody's got a birthday out there. You know, we we can go to Hallmark, get you a card or something. You know, make you happy and the everything. odds are good. But I want to. I'm gonna. I'll tell you something. You brought something up a few minutes ago about your dad. Mm -hmm. My father, Ethan's grandfather, never talked about the war. I think that's common to the World War II vets. At and least then, the ones I've to. and then, one day, because I was not around, he spent time with Ethan. And what are you? Jump in. I, I mean, this was... It's over a period of time, and I understand. Yeah. Um, 
I'm trying to even remember how old I was at the time. I know I was in middle school at least. Um, I would go to his office after school to let out because my mom worked for my grandpa. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know how, I'm trying to remember even how the conversation had originally started. <clears throat> I know we were studying World War II in my class. Um, and I either had stumbled upon something in his office that was from World War II of his, or uh, but I was asking him some questions, and he kind of he goes into his desk and he pulls out these files and these boxes, and uh, he just starts going through with me his uh, different documentation from when he was in the military, letters that he would write to. Uh, his friends that were stationed other places, his brother, um, who was in the Navy. He was in the Pacific. In yep. the Navy. Yeah. And um, he, he... Was he in the European theater? Yeah, he was with Patton. Mm-hmm. He was 5th Armored Division. Yeah. And he was a tank commander. These were things that he had told me he had never shared with anybody else. Since. Yeah. My brothers, we never saw it. Yeah, it, it, I think it's very typical. Um, the only time... You know, I used to sneak out of my bedroom, uh, my dad and his brother, his older brother, who um, was a Navy flyer. They would get into some uh, conversations, uh, most times over a, a drink or two. And we're going to we're going to bring this back. Um, you're listening to New Radio Media Talking Biz. Uh, we'll be back the second point being after the hour. And we're going to continue a little conversation about family history before we go on to further adventures. Show me someone who eats quickly and chances are I can show you someone who's overweight. Japanese researchers report that people who eat quickly until they're full are three times more likely to be overweight. The findings which appear in the British Medical Journal indicate that eating style can be just as important to your weight control as what or how much you eat. The dieters have been told for years to eat slowly to give your body time to register the food it's already consumed. You can help yourself and your children by making sure everyone eats slowly and in calm surroundings. Now this may be quite a feat to achieve in a day when it's so common for people to eat while watching television, which is a major no-no for anyone trying to lose weight or to control their weight. So remember that when it comes to eating, your mouth is faster than the signals that tell your brain that you've had enough. So slow down and give your body the time it needs to work properly. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Brackman. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The New Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content. Welcome to Geektainment Weekly, all for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And action. And millions of ducks. Two guys go to newradiomedia.com. The Arts and Entertainment Channel on New Radio Media. Dot.
What's going on in your neighborhood? They say it takes a village. It's the simple things. The things that are a testament to the old. And the things that are a testament to the new. Know what's going on in your community. Check out our community channel on newradiomedia.com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it. Where you're going. What you do to stay fit. What you're eating. What you're thinking. And how you're feeling. Join the conversation at newradiomedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream the life you want to live. You know, and where did the time go here at New Radio Media Talking Biz? You know, in that first hour, it just kind of flew by. You know, we've got Ethan in the studio. We've got Bud Grell here, a special guest today from High Efficiency Power Solutions. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. I want to go back to something that we were sharing with our listeners in the first hour. And, and we're talking about parents, talking about World War II a little bit, about how they came home from the service, just like Vietnam, but Vietnam was a little different. But they came home, and they put all of their heart into the drawers mm. and kind of said, you know, I cannot share this with anybody. And, and Ethan is starting to share a story with you. One of the unique things, like my father never shared with my brothers and I so much, was like he liberated a concentration camp yeah. with Patton. And the rule was, Patton said, when the tanks pulled in, you photograph everything because nobody will believe what we're going to see and what he had to do on cutting down people that were hung because they ran out of munition to kill him. So all the stuff being so ugly, that was Patton's rule, because Eisenhower said, you have to document the history. So going back, Ethan, a little bit, so your grandfather, my dad, uh, started to sit down with you. Yeah, uh, so the the first time we really sat down and talked, it was very, very brief, and actually... um, he had just gotten a copy of a book. Uh, I don't know who had written it, um, but it was about uh, the different tank um, companies in the uh, Germany region during World War II. And uh, I think he, he had gotten this book because his regiment had been um, mentioned in it. He had personally been mentioned in it. And it was, uh, I think, the first time that I really kind of wondered what he had done in the war. I knew, I knew he had served in the war. I knew he was in uh, Europe. But I, I really didn't know what he, he did. And so kind of going off from that to then him kind of showing me his different documentations from when he would uh, apply for leave and when he... Uh, I believe got a promotion. There was a, a thing he had not only documentation but a like a letter of uh, promotion, and then a lot of the letters, um, mainly ones to his brother, and then there was one uh, friend. I don't know if it was someone he had known from uh, just like living in Michigan or if it was someone he met when he joined the service, but he was telling me that 
he had received a letter from this friend of his and he had written back and the day before he sent the letter well the letter was already sent but he found out that that day before he sent the letter his friend was killed in action hmm. i think i think that story's all too common from back then yeah right? but um uh, you know my father fell into the same category you couldn't get any information out of him and i think uh that's prevalent in all world war ii vets that i'm familiar with uh, there was a sense of you know you really didn't have a choice the world was at war and if you were in high school in the 40s you were going that's true right. you know it's, it's totally different you know later on with the korean conflict and then the vietnam war yeah. uh, because in in the 60s um, there was a lot of sentiment against the Vietnam War, which uh, President Eisenhower put us into that position at the time in 1957 when he sent the advisory force over first. And, and then after that, uh, President Kennedy boosted it, and then Lyndon Johnson just went to the end of it. And so it was a tough time because when I looked at the Air Force at that time, everybody looked at you like, are you totally nuts? Mm. You know, you don't go, you didn't enlist, you didn't do these things, ROTC in college, none of these things took place. So it was a, a unique time and everything. But World War II was not fantasized, and it was not, um, it was embraced for protection because we were attacked. The United States was attacked in Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. And uh, President Roosevelt immediately said, a day which will live in infamy, and we are at war not only with the Japanese, but the axis of Germany. And that goal was, this needs to stop. It was the horrors that on both the Atlantic and the Pacific that they saw that nobody ever envisioned. Um, the incarceration on the Pacific side, the horrendous uh, loss of life on the Atlantic side uh, with Germany and Adolf Hitler was so tremendous that it takes generations to really understand it. And now, the, the Middle East machinery is promoting that the Holocaust never existed. Just an amazing piece. Yeah. Uh, you know, the understanding is something I'm not sure can happen unless you've actually been there. But um, the remembering and the remembering of the potential of, of man to do evil against man is um, and, uh, pardon the uh, term uh, use of man but uh, humans doing evil against humans is is something that um, I think needs to be remembered because that can pop up um, at any time right well and, and one thing that you know kind of looking back on you know when I would talk with my grandfather about you know his time in the service and you know the, the when he kept saying you know I've never kind of talked with you know anyone about this your father or your uncles even your grandmother and um, one thing that you know I, I think about now kind of looking back on it when we mention like the Holocaust you know we have the survivor numbers are thinning um, the the actual in-person tellings of you know if people share what happened to them though those numbers are dwindling down every day every every year sure and you know, I, I think maybe with my grandpa, um, the the reasoning of 
maybe finally opening up and talking about what he had gone through and what kind of, uh, you know, he had seen and done. It may, it may have just been, you know, his way of making sure that someone in the family would know all of this kind of stuff that he had experienced and be able to share it with the rest of the family and future members of the family once he was no longer here. I mean, it's a it's a very difficult thing. I mean, my dad uh, continued to write letters after the war to prisoners that he uh, saved. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when he got to the camp and uh, found people that were alive, and of course you couldn't feed them because you'd kill them because right. they were so starved. Right. But over a period of time, but he started writing letters and they wrote back and they built this very unique bond. And Steve Spielberg today has cataloged interview after interview with Holocaust survivors so that history can be reminded, the, that the next generation can be reminded of the horrors of life. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's the big thing. We have a great Holocaust center here in Detroit at 12 Mile and Orchard Lake Road. Right. Passed it on the way in. Right. Washington, D.C.'s facility. Uh, and, it, and we're not the only ones. The Albanians in the 1900s suffered a Holocaust almost as great as what took place in World War II. And people don't realize that all of these things take place. And the public needs to understand it and grab hold of it. Well, and even Darfur uh, in Africa, mm -hmm. you know, that just as many people, if not even more people, have been uh, the killed. The Hutu and the Tutsis. Yep. <clears throat> I, I've got a very good friend who's actually staying with me right now who's Armenian, and he's got— um, quite a history there as well, uh, the Turks and the Armenians. And the question is, you have to ask them, how have you documented the story? I think, again, I, I hesitate to speak for um, any group that I'm not really intimately involved with, but uh, uh, what I've noticed, uh, at least with his family, is um, they keep it alive through um, story and through the written word. So. It's almost uh, a rite of passage, um, at least in his family, to read, I think it's uh, Ambassador Morgenthal's um, account of what went on in Turkey. I think he was the U.S. ambassador to Turkey at the time. And uh, there's a very detailed account of what was going on, the systematic genocide of the people. Um, I hesitate to get political here because I know there's a, a dispute within the, the Turk and uh, Armenian community as to what actually went on, but um, um, there it is. Okay. So, you know, we're, we're going to kind of, you, you made a, a statement, though, that I found very interesting. They're telling the story, you know, got to retell the story. So do you know what's coming back into lives of Americans today that's been missing for the last 20, 25 years? Anybody? Angel, anybody? What do you think's been missing that's slowly coming back, and it'll surprise you? Let me guess. Is it books? No. Okay. No, no, not books. This is—and I'll give you even a hint. If you watch television, in one TV show, it is played out very dramatically. Altruism? Nope. The dinner table. Oh, the dinner table. The dinner table. People are coming back to grandma and grandpa's house on Sunday nights for dinner, or they're going to their parents. The kids are coming back to the parents to have Sunday night dinner. And 
telling what's been going on for two weeks, you know, for the two, uh, three, four days during the week that maybe was big to them or whatever before, or how the weekend was going. But they're bringing back, sitting down at the table, no electronics. <laughs> no electronics. I was ask, are they texting um, each other? Well, we had a family dinner a while back, and I made a note to my daughter, and I said, when we have the dinner, please, no electronics at the table. Well, and I mean, you can, I try to remember what the uh, company was that did the commercial um, where, you know, the family's coming into the grandparents' house. They got the metal detector. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's and, great. Uh, it's a the, great all commercial. The kids are trying to smuggle, <laughs> smuggle, in their smuggle the phones in. And uh, I just remember the one little girl, she has like the iPad or whatever, mm-hmm. like implanted into the, the teddy bear. Mm-hmm. And the grandpa kind of looks at her and is like, Really? Like, Come on. You're going to that extent to not talk <laughs> to your family. My, my two-year-old son is extremely proficient on a, on a smartphone, right? So um, This is scary. It is. And, uh, you know, we'd give him an hour a day, but in that hour, he was able to sync his videos to our TV, which we <laughs> didn't know was possible. Unbelievable. Um, but he did it. And then thinking it was an accident... Um, reset everything, and he did it again. And uh, he gets no no greater joy than to turn Elmo or something on uh, the TV if you're watching the news. Well, I tell you, you know, I think it's great that um, the American families are coming back together. It may be a slow process, and I keep trying all the time to remind everybody it's about family and everything else. So as a family, we're going to go pay some bills here at New Radio Media. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. Andy, are you ready? Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win. Can you tell us which holiday is this? I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. on NewRadioMedia.com. That's pretty good. Yo, what's up? This is your boy, Walter Jones, also known as Zach, the original Black Ranger, and you are geeking out with Geek Geektainment Weekly at New Radio Media. It's not the time. A new release long-term study concludes that women who work the night shift are at greater risk of developing breast cancer. The report appears in the journal Occupational Environmental Medicine and shows that working more than two night shifts a week can raise the risk of breast cancer by as much as 40%. Even more troubling was the finding that women who worked at least three night shifts a week for a minimum of six years had a 50% increase in their cancer risk. The study also found that the risk was almost four times higher in women who considered themselves to be morning people. One possible reason for the increased risk is the interruption of the normal human circadian rhythm, which is your body's internal clock. Disrupting normal sleep patterns over a period of years compromises the production of melatonin, which is a hormone that's been shown to suppress cancer growth. Early risers who did not work any night shifts were found to have the lowest risk of developing breast cancer. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. 
And you're listening to New Radio Media Talking Biz. You know, that prescription on health with Dr. Jimmy Bragman is great because we're going to talk about a prescription of a different type. The prescription of keeping the lights on and making sure that your batteries are charged up because we've got 45 minutes, the most exciting times right now. Bud Grell, <laughs> we're switching hats now. We're going to really talk about high-efficiency power solutions. And you know what I got in my hand here? I got me a battery. You now, do. I was going to bring the big battery out of the car and put it on, you know, bring it right into here mm-hmm. and everything else. But, but you, know, you can't lift more than five, five pounds. I know. I, you men know, of these, a certain age. No, oh, men, these, men, these, <laughs> these neck surgeries. The men of too many surgeries. These surgeries are a killer. So, and more, so you brought and a more, double A alkaline. I, I did, you know. If he doesn't hey, listen to the doctor. You guys are so funny. So funny. You know, we're going to talk about. You could have uh, just handed me your watch and said there's a battery in here. Well, now, wait a minute. You see, batteries come in all shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen. You see this? little light here that I'm doing this like this there's a little battery in here just think about this a little battery then I've got this little this watch has a battery Mm -hmm. and uh, just about everything we do today has some form of battery even my cell phone here that I look at all the time has a battery and so batteries are so unique but let's go back in history before there was high efficiency power solutions there was a guy named Voltaire Mm-hmm. Remember Voltaire? I remember Shocking, Voltaire. wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Shocking. And Voltaire did the experiment at lots the of Institute volts. of Lots of Volts. He says, Who wants to hold the wire? <laughs> Who wants the wire? Anybody want to sit in some water when we push the button? <laughs> I feel like I'm watching the Three Stooges. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get into the history of electronics here. <laughs> oh, I bet, you know, we're going we're gonna to move that microphone a little bit this way, because sure, sure, I, sure. I know everybody wants to hear what you have to say. Okay. So one of the great things is high-efficiency power solutions. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, I started going back with them way back when, and nobody knows what I do for a real living. We don't want them to know. Peter, you actually no, nobody knows what they do. were involved with them before I was. That's right. You came on the scene um, from a financial side first. You became like an investor. I was an investor, yes. And then the light went on because there was more power solution there. So they gave it a bigger power push. The lights went on. You got to see more, do more. But at the end of the day, um, the battery industry as we know it today versus when I grew up with batteries. I mean, we grew up, look, we had a car battery. We had a very, you know, a little battery on the uh, lawnmower, mm-hmm. maybe. Um, and, of course, we had all these little batteries. I mean, we had the—let's face it. We had the D battery, then the C battery, the 9-volt battery, the AAA, the AA. And that, those were pretty much what I sold in the drugstore, actually. When I worked in the drugstore, I mean, we had a little rack of batteries, and you know, they came down the tubes mm-hmm. back then. So a guy could come in, and he had a tester right there. So he could take his little battery, go to the tester, and go, oh, look, I still have a little life left. I don't have to buy a new one. Oh, good. And they didn't come in two packs. You just, they slid down the tube. I, you I don't got think that one. was the scenario. The scenario was, oh, my battery's still good and, and my widget is still broken. That's right. <laughs> and they were all looking up in the dictionary widget. What is a widget? So here comes the battery world today. The battery world has expanded. We're seeing big buildings like A123, their new generation building being built over there in Novi. 
we hear about electric cars using batteries galore, mm -hmm. smart cars, batteries galore, excuse me. Um, and let's go back in history a little bit about the battery. Well, battery's ancient, right? It's two dissimilar metals sitting in a, in a solvent or a solution. And uh, it dates back to the Middle East, you know, thousands of years ago, there were um, very rudimentary batteries. A lead-acid battery is probably 120, 130-year-old technology, right? And uh, still exists in your cars and so forth. But the uh, first miniature batteries that you spoke of, the alkalins and so forth, didn't make the scene until 1950s. Right, so uh, the generation before us—if you think very few things had batteries in it before—the um, generation before us had uh, virtually no batteries in anything. You know, it's hard, it's hard to believe, and again, because we did talk about that generation prior to—I mean, like our parents and grandparents—they had the batteries, mm -hmm. um, and then after that. There really wasn't anything. The automobile hadn't been around yet. My, my grandmother was born in 1900, so she watched everything happen from that period of time. So in today's world, we live and die by the battery, pretty much. I mean, this is uh, what was yesterday's luxury is today's necessity. Well, as, as an investor, you try to look for growth markets, and uh, I think uh, everybody understands that batteries are now becoming ubiquitous in, in a lot of things, not the least of which are the consumer devices that are out there. So um, you try to uh, ride the wave, uh, find your niche, and uh, make some money and make some people happy. So when you look at a battery, um, you know, there's different qualities. We, you know, the battery came out, and then you had, um, they, they, they use different terms, like here, let me read this one. Alkaline battery. Alkaline. Alkaline. Yes, this battery came from right field, as a matter of fact. Um, and Spelled the same way and confused me. Uh, for years. Uh, yes. You kept looking as for the child, autograph, right? right. I mean, exactly. Mom, look, it doesn't Alkaline look like, doesn't look, where's his bat? <laughs> you know? But the battery business, I mean, all right, so let's start with some basic stuff. Let, let's help everybody out. You had, a, you had a regular battery. What came after the, the original battery before Alkaline? Anything much? What in? came before alkaline? Well, commercially, it was yeah. lead acid. Lead acid. Okay. Right. Then Vehicle we got batteries. Then you get alkaline. Then then it became uh, miniaturized. Okay. Right? Energy in a small form factor. All right. High density for the size, uh, meaning it carries a lot of energy for the size, mm -hmm. and uh, could power electronics that heretofore needed to, to be plugged into the grid. Okay. So after alkaline, what? What's the next big word that I would see on a battery this size? Anything after alkaline right well, now? Well, just staying with the fundamentals, there's two fundamental types of batteries. One's called a primary cell. That's one that um, uh, cannot be recharged. That's right? this. That's that. That's, so, so we're going to talk about when I, what happens when I throw it away. We'll okay. get to that. And then uh, there's a, a secondary cell, which is a rechargeable battery. So... Um, Batteries branched. I mean, again, dissimilar metals uh, in a solution. So 
the difference in technologies were largely the, the metals used and the solution used. So a lot of metals are used making the batteries, the components lots, of lots the battery. Lots of heavy metals. Right. Where, Toxic heavy metals. Where does most of the metal come from? Which country? Uh, depending on, again, the chemistry. Okay. Right? All uh, right. So, again, let's do consumer our consumer specials. Uh, my there aren't a lot of, well, you my know, blue light is fading. You, my blue lights are fading, by the way, at Kmart. I, I don't know where the bulk of lead comes from right now, but I do know that it's not in, um, generally, in developed Western countries. type countries okay. because of the toxicity. All right. Um, as you go into other metals like lithium and uh, manganese and cobalt and so forth, um, there are other countries that um, uh, develop and process okay. these metals. So we're going to move. In including the U.S. No, I understand. We're, but the big issue is, all right, let's talk about the consumer side for a few minutes. We're going to go to the your bread and butter business in a minute. But sure. the consumer side says... This dies. It's mm -hmm. not rechargeable. Mm -hmm. What do I do with it? What should I do with it versus what do I do with it? Well, you should recycle it. Okay. So let's say that um, I have my bin. Mm -hmm. I throw them in my bin in the basement, which I do all the time. Mm -hmm. um, and then I take them to my township recycle day, um, and I dump them there. Or even my temple has a recycle bin for batteries. So now the big truck comes by, picks it all up. What do they actually do with this? Because like you said, this doesn't belong in a dump, dump, right? Right, right. All right so what happens with these things? So they send it to one of a handful of companies in the U.S. who recycle batteries. Now, most recycling um, results in a saleable product, right? So if you recycle glass, you get glass when you recycle it, and then you can in turn sell it. With batteries, you pretty much end up with component parts that don't really have a lot of value. So why does somebody want to recycle the battery, not just boop, Well, it, uh, you, know, you want to do the right thing. And um, I guess the uh, the difference in, in recycling a battery is uh, it usually comes with a charge. <laughs> this is very good. <laughs> like, okay, Sparky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, either municipalities or individuals pay these fees, and uh, what the recycling companies try to do is keep the fees as low as possible. So they don't want them in the ground? Don't want them Because they're ground. very harmful if no, they go in the ground. There's things like potassium hydroxide is the electrolyte in that. You don't want that in your drinking water. Okay. You don't want the zinc and uh, the other metals. So they the encapsulate, it almost sounds like that if they recycled it and they captured it all, that's got to be encapsulated, sealed before they do anything and let it die itself out or whatever. And I, I know uh, peripherally what goes on in the uh, recycling business, but it's, uh, you know, all the batteries come in, they get sorted, um, they get uh, thrown into um, various processes depending on its chemistry, mm -hmm. right? And then uh, the resultant uh, materials are um, the individual components of the battery. And I, I think they divide it largely into the metals, the um, uh, other materials like the cardboard, plastics, and that kind of thing. And then um, I'm, I'm not really sure what they do with the uh, electrolyte. Okay. So, you know, high-efficiency power solutions comes onto the scene. Um, I, I would, it, you know, just in that line, there's a 
surprisingly, or at least to me, in my hometown of Howell, Michigan, there's a, one of the major battery recycling companies called Battery Solutions. Really? And uh, they specialize in every chemistry, and um, I, th you know, if you believe the literature, and I've got no reason to doubt it, they've got uh, some of the most advanced technologies in the world. So I should give you this to take to them. <laughs> I mean, can this, can this fit in your car? I don't know if this will be able to get into the car and make it all the way there. Conveniently located Conveniently in local, Howell, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. You know, Howell's got a lot of planes there, you know. But um, but high efficiency can, comes on the scene mm -hmm. um, and becomes a, a creative, unique business um, because you're not a retailer, nope. you're not a wholesaler, and, you know, we're going to find out exactly what high efficiency does to make our place a more positive place. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. But your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. <laughs> The BG song, Staying Alive, just might help someone you know stay alive. It's one of those beats you just can't get out of your head once it's there. And it turns out the disco song has 103 beats per minute, which happens to be the perfect number to maintain the rhythm for performing CPR. A study out of Illinois found that doctors and medical students who listened to the song while they were practicing CPR not only performed flawlessly, but they also remembered the technique five weeks later. The keys to CPR are performing the technique aggressively, that is pushing hard enough and pushing on the chest fast enough to force the blood to where it needs to go. So when it comes to proper technique, it turns out that compressing the chest to the beat of staying alive really can help the victim stay alive. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to New Radio Media Talking Biz. I'm with Bud Grell. We're talking uh, a little bit about the battery industry, and Bud, of course, is from High Efficiency Power Solutions in beautiful Whitmore Lake. You can't miss it. It's across from the Woodland Prison, otherwise known as a correction <laughs> facility for those that did not want to play the same game. <laughs> you know, I got to so tell you. So we impressed you right off the bat. I tell you, when I pulled right. off the freeway and I saw the prison across the street, I said, what a great place to get labor, you know? <laughs> Put it in the chair. Pull the hammer down. Does it work? I don't know. It's uh, too shocking. <laughs> anyway, um, so you're an innovator. You know, you like to take it beyond the basic, shall we say, realm of a battery. Mm -hmm. A battery, I mean, batteries have gone so many different directions, and you've worked with a number of companies, and we don't name the companies here because uh, we want to protect them and the rights that you're doing with them, but um, batteries have taken a whole new life. They have. And all of our motor vehicles and a lot of our operations today require much more battery utilization versus direct current. 
and I'll say, you know, like when I say direct current, the, I look at the power line to the building, the building in. But we walk sure. around today. But uh, I've got you, computers. you have to watch your terminology there right. because direct current means DC, DC, which is a battery. All yeah. right. So mm-hmm. we'll go into. All right. So correct me as I move along. <laughs> it's all right. Um, all right. So we look at that kind of a power coming into the building. But everything in the building that we operate with today, we have our tablets, we have our laptops, we have our cell phones. They use a different kind of battery. They do. Right? And so the, those kind of batteries are just doing their thing. But now they talk about you know, vehicles being autonomous. They talk about smart televisions. All these things are driven with all new pieces. And sometimes they don't need to be plugged in anywhere. Yeah, so the real paradigm shift here is the level of electronics inside of a battery. Okay. Right. So um, a car battery has no electronics other than the fact that it's a battery. So it's just cells, what we call cells. And I can remember putting fluid in at mm-hmm. one time. If you know, I'd go to the gas station and I'd get my little reader, put them in each little port. That's the electrolyte. Right. See if the little bubble. Boop, Mm-hmm. And if not, I filled it up a little Your bit more. Distilled water. That's yeah. right. I put. Well, we know we should distill water. We had a garden hose. What the hell? <laughs> you know, we just put it in the battery. And if the cables were looked a little dirty, we had a little Coca Cola to help it. Well, you hopefully, know? there wasn't a lot of iron or something. <laughs> that, it was good, good Detroit water. Right? <laughs> but anyway, that's how we did a battery, and uh, we cleaned the battery cables. You know, with a little steel brush and Coca Cola. You're not hired. No, 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 no. I lost my job again. <laughs> All right, work it through for me. So, um, in that type of technology, lead acid, there's um, a possibility to add some electronics, but uh, a lead acid battery is by nature kind of messy and sloppy. And passe. Well, to uh, a certain extent. To a certain extent. I mean, it it still is the most prevalent uh, electrochemistry out there. Really? As batteries. Well, think of it. Every, Every vehicle. Right, every ship, mm-hmm. um, energy storage, uh, battery backup, these kinds of things are still predominantly lead acid. In the emergency lights that you have in the building, there's yes. probably a small little lead acid battery that's uh, backing it up when the lights go out or when the power goes out. I am so glad I am not allergic to lead. Ah, uh, well, you know, <laughs> what will we do with all these heavy metals, right? I know. And, well, great bands. Yeah. <laughs> not the good heavy metal, right? <laughs> Uh, at any rate, um, so what's different now is that the, uh, from an electronics perspective, or at least the ability to add electronics, the environments um, uh, are much cleaner. So we try to treat all batteries as um, electronic modules that just happen to have um, energy capacity. Well, the new batteries, all right, so we got this new energy capacity. How do you find that capacity, though? I mean, is this not like a little board, like I look at a computer board? Is it um, just the way the wiring gets thinner or greater to move stuff through it? Okay. So, again, uh, think of all the different applications that you talked about that use batteries. Okay. Got it. Um, There isn't a one-size-fits-all for any of this, right? It has to be custom-developed for the application. So are you when you say custom application, so a manufacturer comes to you on XYZ item mm-hmm. for their product, mm-hmm. and they say, this is what I really like to put out into the marketplace, Right. That, and here's all the space I'm going to allocate for my energy source. 
within yeah. that product. Is we, that how kind of? We, we mean, try to catch them before that happens oh, because okay. we'd, we'd like to um, help them design the space for the battery to make it appropriate. But uh, it doesn't always happen that way. And, and sure, that's part of the engineering challenge is you have to uh, take a look at what the application is, what kind of current it uh, requires, right? What uh, kind of runtime it requires. And you try to optimize all these parameters to uh, best um, provide a product for uh, the send application. What we try to do additionally is we try to add a lot of features that normally are not found in batteries. Uh, they can be things like um, data collection or uh, perhaps monitoring of outside sensors, these kinds of things that um, um, in most cases, the customer didn't even know they wanted until you pointed out to them. What well, was a luxury becomes a necessity. Um, true. And again, uh, trying to find your niche. Um, if you're just a battery, you're competing with the world's uh, battery standards. Okay. So there's standard footprints, and uh, many, many, many companies make them. Uh, they're the highest volumes out there. But uh, they do one thing, and they do one thing only. So. What we try to do is add the number of things that the battery does and uh, try to make those very specific for markets. So when you go to the markets, you know, that takes you to traveling. It does. And so the different kind of countries, I mean, we always hear that, you know, the number one country, China. China, 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 China. Everything um, goes to China. Well, you know, not you know, so true in terms of um, innovation for for batteries. So, where is an where where would you say are the three major innovation centers today? For batteries, well, I don't discount China, but I would put China at number four in terms of innovation. Okay, I'm talking innovation. It would be uh, Korea, Japan, U.S. Really, and uh, depending on the um, well. I don't want to leave out Europe as well, no. but uh, there's a lot of acquisition going on right now. So uh, you mentioned A123 Systems, which um, is no longer. It's actually a company called Lithium Works out of the Netherlands. Will they change the name on the building on Nova then? They will. Did they uh-huh. get the memo? <laughs> I mean, I saw the sign. It said A. And maybe they were Canadian. Counting. I don't know. A, one, two, three. Well, it, it, maybe it, it was the number of windows they were trying to put in the building. It may be a matter of uh, keeping the, uh, <laughs> the label that's recognizable oh. while it's owned by a different entity. But uh, my point being that um, uh, you can acquire technology through acquisition as well. Okay. So you got three major markets. So your travels take you to these places. They do. And when you first walked in, the very first time you walked into one of these facilities, Mm -hmm. were you in awe by the way they were set up, the way they were doing their research, anything like that? Or was it just... Well, I I mean, I I have a science background, so I I am intrigued by the science of everything. But I come from the semiconductor background, uh, a semiconductor background as well, so... For me, um, I have been in the most pristine, clean rooms where they make um, semiconductors, and it really is a environment where you have to worry about contaminants in parts per million. So when you walk into that room, you get the white coat? Yes. You get the footwear, the, the headwear. Fo- oh, you get it all. Everything, right? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's pretty interesting. I, I look at your, 
nice look there. <laughs> I mean, I want to see what you look like with a babushka on top, it's, you know, and the funny shoes, looking on the shoes. I mean, I've been to automotive mm-hmm. quality rooms where they've done that. Right. And uh, Well, you know the look, then. Oh, I know the look, and I also know it from the food service industry. But, you know, I never thought of the, the battery industry. You know, I think of the battery, and again, I pick up my little friend here over here, you know, just, you know, mass produced, boom, boom, boom. You, you always forget about that quality room or the R&D room. Well, again, we, we were talking about semiconductors, which right, is which my is background. Much. So um, uh, you could imagine my horror when I first went to a lead-acid battery manufacturer. Oh, there you go. Plant. Slop on the floor. And I was there with an industry professional who had uh, uh, been in charge of production for some major battery companies for uh, 30 years. And uh, we toured this facility. It happened to be in South Korea. Uh, we're walking through plating um, uh, the processes, and uh, you know my eyes are burning. I could feel my clothes starting to melt. This kind of thing. No OSHA rules. <laughs> we, we get done. No, no. no. <laughs> it's very highly regulated in South Korea. But um, at any rate, it's just a nasty process. Mm-hmm. We got done with the tour. And, um, again, I'm, I'm horrified uh, because I hadn't been exposed to it in the past. And the gentleman who has all the experience looked at me and he said, that is by far the cleanest lead acid process I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> so it is totally different not in perspective, you know. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So you, you've gone to different locations. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the semiconductor background guy. Right. How did a semiconductor background guy marriage himself into the battery industry. So again, originally as an investor, but then uh, myself and uh, some folks I know, along with my business partner, uh, and Tom his name, Rose. Tom Rose. Right. Uh, we began to talk about some of the possibilities of merging uh, the two networks, mine predominantly being semiconductor electronic design, his predominantly being um, the battery industry, right? So both the customers and the uh, traditional battery electrochemistry OEMs. Okay. And then uh, what could we do um, in this uh, merging of networks to try to come up with some innovative uh, products that uh, we could target specific markets with? So, how did you come to meet Tom Rose? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, there was a third uh, gentleman involved at the time, a gentleman named Dean Brown somebody who I respected uh, quite a bit from an electronic design perspective that was working with, with Tom at um, High Efficiency. All right, so you and uh, Tom Rose took over the business and uh, became not only the investors but the um, knowledgeable parties mm-hmm. to do two things, one to be innovative and another department to be sales, in a sense. You've got to sell your product, right? You do? But, oh, okay. I just want to make sure we got to sell it. We just but, don't stack uh, any it up good in the back, businessman in the back put, room. Uh, just, I got a lot of this stuff in the back room. Any good businessman would put profit uh, first. And, and uh, it doesn't matter how good your idea is. It has to be marketable. It has to be profitable. Right? So in the years that you've been doing this, um, how have you seen the direction change in the industry? Because I've got an article here talking about the new, like, for example, 5G coming out mm-hmm. and different batteries that are going to, you know, I mean, the, the 5G is one thing for the, you know, cell phones and all that and everything else to move communication. Right. But the battery's got to change, too, don't they? But, the um, again, the, the, the point is this, that you have such a heavy 
volume consumer industry out there, cell phones being one of, mm-hmm. of them, right? Laptops, tablets, these Got kinds of things, yep. smart TVs. Yep. Those technologies um, uh, can be utilized in other areas. And um, so, yes, they use batteries, mm-hmm. but at the same time, some of the technologies that are used in a cell phone can also be used in a larger battery. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that because Samsung is coming out with a new, different kind of phone. And we're going to talk about here at Talking Biz New Radio Media. At Murray's Park City, we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me. Just listen to what our customers have to say. The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous. They make you feel like you're at home. Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only $6.99 or a five-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Park City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Walled Lake. We've got the parts you need when you need them. want to see things like this? You just said you died? <laughs> well, I mean, technically. Or maybe even something like this. We'll do nothing but destroy your corpses and burn them all for my dogs. Your dogs are gone. And sometimes, a little of this. We need to have a talk. <laughs> I take my axe and I smash it. No! <laughs> and check out Podquesters, the show where we tackle ghoulish goblins, fiendish foes, and dangerous tricks. Oh, like the singer? No, the dragon creature. Anyways, Podquesters, Fridays, only on NewRadioMedia.com. Want to stay informed, entertained, and enlightened? Get connected and stay connected today to New Radio Media. The New Radio Media app is now available for download in the Apple and Google Play Store. Just search for NRM Streams for unlimited access to archived, live, new, exciting, and unique content Welcome to Geektainment Weekly, all for free. Do it now. Stay connected. And you're listening to New Radio Media Talking Biz. I'm Peter Perlman. Paul, of course, is um, hiding out somewhere, taking it easy, feet up on the couch, probably watching a little HGTV. I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's even listening to this show. You know, Paul's an interesting guy. He, he says, he, I get up early in the morning, um, I go get breakfast, then I meet you for coffee. I said, well, you know, we have coffee at the same spot. Mm-hmm. So why are you going down the street for breakfast when you can have it here? So, you know, but, Paul, I want you to rest. It's going to be a heavy, windy weekend. You know, I want those lead shoes on. I don't want you to f- angle to the left. I don't want you to angle to the right when the wind comes. Just take it easy. Enjoy your Bloody Mary, by the way, Paul. And I'm surprised <laughs> we haven't heard from any of our listeners about your Bloody Mary mixes this week. Because... I, will, I will join you later, Paul. Well, what's your favorite Bloody Mary? <laughs> what do you like in the Bloody Mary? That's what Paul... That's one of, I, I see, like, Paul was in like the studio right things, now. But it, Paul it, would ask you right now in the studio. It has to have horseradish. Horseradish? It has to have that. Okay. What about the food consumption inside the uh, famous Bloody Mary? Because Paul talks about not only celery I've and pickles. pickles and olives. And he's and had salami. salami and he, he's sure. had shrimp. I mean, he gets it all. He has a smorgasbord, and then he gets dessert. 
I like that as well. You like that? Yeah, I think it's the salty tooth. Right? The salty tooth. How come when you it. and I've had lunch, we've never thought about having a Bloody Mary? Uh, we've had a glass of wine at the most. I yes, think. We yeah. have. yes, we have. Yes, we have. Yes, we have. And we want to thank Carrie, the bartender. <laughs> <laughs> Not Carrie, the wife, but Carrie, the bartender. Carrie, the bartender. Carrie, uh, the bartender. A very, very sweet woman. So, so how do people find you at uh, High Efficiency? Do you have a website or something they go visit? Can they type in, you know, W? We do, but um, w- our, our business is a pretty rifle shot um, in that. We oh. target specific customers. So they go to WW Remington? <laughs> <laughs> One shot fits all, honey. Bada boom. Bada boom. <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, our, our website, uh, somewhat embarrassingly, is more like a placeholder for us because we just don't do a lot of uh, business where somebody's going to call in. And, so uh, you have a unique business to a very large industry. What we try to do is we try to develop something that we believe is innovative and and, uh, it's focused on a particular industry and then uh, go into that industry. So let me ask you a different question now. Um, Let's talk about talent in in today's world. (laughs) (laughs) Bruno Mars. Bruno! (laughs) The talent world. Um, For the type of work that you do, Mm -hmm. is the talent pool available? There's a current talent pool. There's a very large um, uh, battery development um, portion of the engineering school at the University of Michigan. So um, for us, I think finding the talent, um, there's one of, you know, the talent is... Uh, I know, it's an oxymoron terminology. To well, you know, you can be talented in, in uh, the development of the electrochemistry, which really does is no good. Okay. Right? Uh, we... We need to have uh, people who are talented in the application of these electrochemistries. I just so, kind of wonder, because I, I was, I was, I was always wondering, um, is it the trade schools that we're missing to bring new talent? Is it the universities not giving us the talent that we need um, as an industry? And I'm using I, industry as generic terminology now, not. I can no. say this uh, uh, just from my own background. Okay. So I, I went to U of M um, School of Engineering, doubly. And um, very, very heavy at the time on theory, right? There, there was some application, but uh, a lot of theory in terms of uh, the science behind uh, it. And, you know, uh, make no mistake, it w- is one of the better universities in the world, and I'm proud and globe blue and, uh, and oh, so, so and far. But uh, at the same time, I uh, would um, show up places where I would talk to people that were, say, from uh, a trade school or, or uh, Lawrence Tech or something mm-hmm. like that who had much more application um, experience in their educational okay. background. And uh, in a lot of areas, they were much further along uh, than I was, um, having um, spent a lot of time in the laboratory, if you will. So how did you hone the skill? Um, well, there's no shortcut to it. You do have to have experience. So um, the one thing university really does, in, in my humble opinion, is teach you how to learn. Right. So did you intern anywhere first? I mean, did you come out of school and go right to a job, or did you become like an intern, then a— I, I actually had a job before I got out of um, university. So for me, it was difficult um, to um, do anything but work. Oh, okay. Uh, because uh, at some point, you got to make money, right? It helps. <laughs> it helps. I mean, it does pay a few of those bills that we talked about in the first hour a little bit, you know? Right. So—, so. 
Um, so, you know, now the shoe's on the other foot. Now I look for those kind of people. But uh, <laughs> back when tough. I was those kind of people, uh, I got picked up uh, by a company. Um, we were doing a lot of um, automotive um, electronics. And, uh, you know, in the Michigan market uh, at that time, it was um, automotive or appliance um, with a spattering of um, uh, uh, electronics companies that uh, cater to a variety of different markets. Okay. So let, let's change gears for a minute. Uh, we've talked about high efficiency and their uniqueness. We talked about the battery business. Um, and then I drive down the road. When I'm going to you, like, let's say I get a 96. Mm-hmm. I pass what we call a solar farm. Mm-hmm. What is the solar farm doing to benefit you? Anything? Well, me as a human or me, no, me as, as, a my, as, as a business person to your industry? Well, because um, we're seeing that more particular solar, farms. solar farm, and again, I'm not an expert on that solar farm, but it's my understanding that it's a lot of solar uh, voltaic um, uh, cells that are connected directly to the grid. So in that case, uh, battery's not really required. So whatever it generates, it generates um, directly to the power lines. And I believe it's DTE that right, owns that, that solar farm. Um, but for the consumer, though, the typical application is to, uh, well, it's one of two applications. Either you uh, uh, generate electricity uh, through solar cells and then store it in batteries, or you um, uh, supplement your your grid. Uh, so if they store them in batteries, mm-hmm. let's say at the house, you know I've seen them solar panels on houses all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, they store them in the batteries. Mm-hmm. So are we going back to the old battery type again? That, well, is that that? It's still the the most prevalent energy storage is still lead acid. Okay, and, and that has everything to do with the fact that uh, it costs so little. Oh, okay. So it's a, it's a cost factor. Okay. It's just a technology that's been around forever, and, um, um, you know, the volume of car batteries that are made versus some of the other uh, electrochemistries in similar formats are... Oh, okay. It's pretty daunting. So we were talking during the break a little bit. We're going to move away from batteries. We're going to talk about cell phones and, you know, different things. So I got a, I got two articles here, and one of them says... Better battery life tops 5G on wish list of smartphone users. Mm-hmm. So, when we talk about that, first, you know, we're talking about this 5G, which in English means? It means fifth generation of uh, digital network. Okay. So, we got the fifth generation coming out, and then it says they want a better, better battery life. Mm-hmm. So, like, um, you know, I take my phone, I charge it up, you know, I go home and I charge it up. And then I run it most of the day, mm-hmm. and then it dies. Then I charge it up. So they want the life of that phone to last longer off the charger. So it's a- so, so my question is, I got this little lined up question. Okay. I have a watch that uses light all the time. Never needs a battery. Mm-hmm. Why haven't they done that to the phone? Mm-hmm. Perlman is stuck in it to me. Well, the- <laughs> No, no. The, the watch is a single application and um, requires very little energy to run it. Okay. Okay. Think of all the um, applications on your cell phone. It's essentially a very, very highly capable computer that you're utilizing. And if you uh, want to use an analogy, uh, think of a laptop on your lap. Um, think of how hot it gets, right? Mm-hmm. It's hot because of the amount of current that's required and the processor speeds that are out there right now require a lot of current, which 
if you're connected to the wall, is not a problem. If you're right. running it off a battery, it drains that battery very, very quickly. So now you've got smaller and smaller devices doing more and more and more things, right? Mm-hmm. Running at faster and faster clock speeds, um, requiring more and more power. So the consumer wants something that they never have to worry about. Just works all the time, gives them every app that they could ever want. They want that in a very small format. Um, the formats uh, are determined by uh, display size, right, and uh, what's optimal, and then uh, everything that you want running on it. But uh, that article alludes to the fact that um, everybody would love the thing to run more and uh, last longer in between charges. Okay. And, and, and the last thing here that, you know, because we're going to have to say goodbye to everybody shortly, is they want the new flip phone, fold-over phone, back-in-your-pocket phone. You know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the flip phone is making a comeback. You know that. I think what's interesting is uh, what people think they want versus what comes out, and then they realize, oh, yeah, that's what I want, right? Uh, So, um, you know, who really envisioned having smartphones in your pocket? There was a time where it was, how small can I make the phone just to make a phone call or or maybe do an SMS or a text Mm -hmm. message? But um, now it's uh, these are your life companions, and they have every application that you love and you can't do without on, right? It's amazing. Google, uh, YouTube, uh, Hulu, Netflix, these kinds of things. It's wild. I mean, it's it's so crazy what has new radio media. I'm sure you have an app uh, coming out uh, at some time. We're upgrading uh, that yeah. as we speak, See, you know? There so you go. The graphics department, the... Other side of the house, everybody's working on it, not me. Just bring it to me at the end and use my little finger, tell me where it goes, point, tell me what I got to touch. That's it. I don't want to know how you put it together. Exactly. You know, but you want it to last at least without the next, having to charge it. Well, we'd like to see it last a little bit longer, but I do have pedals underneath the table here. So when things get a little weak, <laughs> get I get great leg work. And I got to tell you, it's been a fast two hours here at New Radio Media Talking Biz. You know, but I'm glad you were able to come down and visit with us today. I appreciate the invite. And share Thank you. to uh, Ethan over there that had to disappear to take care of some other business for us. Angel, Love Tony, the beard, Ethan. and Alana. You know, all of the whole team here makes uh, Talking Biz work every day. And uh, just enjoy the week, and we'll see you next week here at New Radio Media. Media.